Good afternoon, everyone. Are we not sure? Good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be here. I missed all of you. New faces uh, I'm seeing here, and we just thank God what he's doing, even when we are absent here. But glad to be back home, my second home. Uh, we were in Kenya for a month. I uh, just arrived uh, on Wednesday morning, so there's no jet lag for me. I'm, I'm okay. We thank God for that. <laughs> it's good to be here, and uh, my name is Solomon, for those who do not know me. Solomon Abaki, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Midtown. So our text today uh, takes me to the topic, the God who hears and the God who sees. When you talk about the God who hears or the God who listens, we're talking about El Shama, E-L-Shama. When you talk about the God who sees, we are talking about El Roy, E-L-Roy. So if it's a new word for you, you can carry it along with you uh, just to get to know uh, the Hebrew word. So we see uh, from the scripture we've read that we know for a certain that Egil was a slave. There was nothing to indicate that she will not always be a slave. In fact, a slave was the lowest social caste in any ancient society, and Edgar's value was determined by what people would pay for her. So, if they, uh, if they, they saw, like, uh, for, for example, for a slave, they saw, like, maybe you're worth uh, maybe 10,000, that's fine. If they saw you're worth 1,000, that's fine with them. So, she was a piece of property with no rights and no free will. She was disposable. Meaning, just like you go to a grocery store and uh, you buy disposable cups, you buy disposable plates, and after use, you don't clean them up to use them again. You just dispose them. So she was such kind of a person, just disposable. Of course, being taken out of her own family, you know, she was an Egyptian, taken out of her own family and sold as a slave. And here, a mistress, like, uh, treat her harshly and she runs away. So her life was not sacred. She was the least and the lowest. But, the important thing is, but God saw her. Elroy saw her and cared about her. So not only did God see her, but God went forth and cared about her. God called her by a name. When you read Genesis chapter 16 verse, verse 8. God identified her by the thing that she most hated about herself. The name Hagar means flight. It means forgotten. It means forsaken. And that's what is happening in, in our own life. And maybe you're here today and you feel like, I'm forsaken. I'm forgotten. And I'm running away from something, you know. I don't want to face my own fears. I'm running out. I'm running away from them. This is what Hagar was experiencing she was a slave. A slave felt invisible to people. That's what happens. People don't see them. People don't see the slave. They, what, what, whatever they want to do uh, to them, they just do it. And that's what has happening to Hagar. She may have been invisible to people, but she was not invisible to God. That's the great thing that can happen in our life. Solomon might be, might be invisible to you guys, but to God, I'm not invisible. You might be invisible to us, but to God, you are not invisible. God saw her, 
and God cared about her. In fact, when you read Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the angel of the Lord found her by spring of water in the wilderness. That's amazing. That the angel, when you talk about angels, we talk about messengers. Like an angel appeared to Mary. That was just a messenger. But when we talk about the angel, for them that have studied theology, it talks about Christophany. The angels is Christ himself appearing to this young lady. And it's amazing that this is the principle of first mention. We don't hear about the angel being mentioned before this. So this is the first incident we are hearing. The angel of the Lord found her. And you'll hear, and I want to encourage you, Christ found you. He found me. It's not us who found Christ. It's him who found us. And that's amazing. Uh, I would say amazing story that we can equate within our lives. This is what Hagar did. So the angel found her where? In the wilderness. So it is in the trying times, I would say. It is in the transitioning moments. It's in the shifting moments of our lives that Christ finds us. You know, sometimes when everything goes well with us, we are autopiloting, we don't see Christ. But in the wilderness, he comes and finds us. The beautiful thing is here, this is a slave. This is a woman, I mean, uh, already mistreated. The least person that you could ever tell that God will appear. She's a non-believer, you know, doesn't know the Lord. An Egyptian, but God comes and finds her and begins to engage her. Verse 13 says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who does what? Can we say conflict? The God who does what? The God who sees. Can we also equate that with me? Like, you know, yourself. Like, you are the God who sees. You see me, Elroy. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Sometimes God comes, I mean, most of the time, God comes through for our lives. And we can identify that he comes. But can we also say that, can I also see God at work in my life? He sees me, but can I also see him? Or am I seeing him not working in my life? But she had a revelation, imagine. Someone who had not known the Lord before. She has a revelation that this is God who sees me. And I want to see him as who he really is in my life. So this way, this was a way of worshiping God. She professed his name. She worshiped him. After having such a revelation, what does Hagar do? She began to worship. Do you know that an ordinary angel doesn't receive worship? In fact, they don't accept whenever they visited people. So when you come across the Bible and you say an angel, that's just a messenger. But when you come across your Bible and say it's the angel, there is capital M, messenger, Christ himself, showing himself to you. And we see Christ receiving here uh, worship. So God, as he shows himself here, we know that Hagar began to see that. Jesus, the Lord being revealed to her, and she begins to worship him because of three things here. 
And I want to share those three things. When she realized that this was not an ordinary messenger, yeah, she began to worship. And the reason that made her worship are three things. Number one, she realized and worshiped God because God cared about her. When you realize that it's not just about all that you've done that makes God to come through for you, but because of what he already has done in your life, it takes you to a life of worship. And that's what Hagar did. So God cared about her. In the same way that God saw Hagar and cared about her, God sees you and cares about you. So it's not only Hagar. You may be going through challenging moments just like her in a different path, but God sees you and he cares about you. He knows your name. I might not know your name well, but God knows your name well. He knows it. He knows your circumstances of your, of your life. He knows how you feel. Sometimes you're very good at putting on cosmetics, you know, uh, fake a uh, face smiling, but we know deep inside we are hurting. Things are not right. Solomon might not get to know that, but God knows. He knows well. In fact, let's read Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16. It says, Jerusalem in captivity said, and right now you might feel like the children of Israel being in captivity, boxed in, in a tight spot. This was what they were experiencing. And say, the Lord has abandoned me and my Lord has forgotten me. And you might have questioned that in your own life. I'm not seeing God here. Has he abandoned me? Has he forgotten me? I've seen things working in people's life. Their life is just, you know, flowing well. Mine is like one circumstance after the other. And that's what they were experiencing. And then the Lord answered, Can a woman forget a nursing child and have no compassion on the son over whom? That's the question. Any mother who is here definitely will tell you, No, my child, I, I, don't, I can't forget that. But the Bible says, even this may forget. They may forget, but I will not do what? I want to say, I will not do what? Forget you. God is telling us, I will not forget you. Indeed, I have inscribed a picture of you on the palms of my hands. So when Jesus died for us, that inscription cannot be erased. It's just there. When he was pinned on the cross for you and I, that inscription remains there. He says, your city walls are continually before me. That's our God. And then Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and approved of you as my chosen instrument. By the time God brought you into this world, he had a purpose in the plan. And he chose you as his own instrument. So you can't walk into someone's path. The path that is set for you, you have to step into it. Because it leads you to the place that he has assigned you to accomplish his purpose. And not your own purpose. So he formed you for his own purpose. That's what it says there. As a chosen instrument. So long as you've come here in the fold, you're God's chosen instrument. You have to know that, that I'm a chosen instrument of God and you want to fulfill a certain call, a certain assignment over my life. 
Father says that, and before you were born, I consecrated you to myself as my own. Meaning, I set you apart to myself and to my own. God has not set you apart for someone else, but for himself. That's what he does. He set you apart for himself, his own. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. If I, I can even ask someone here, are you a prophet or a prophetess? I say, no. Solomon, no, I'm not. But let me tell you something. Wherever God has assigned you there, you're representing him. You're representing him. Whether you're a student, whether you are an engineer, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're working in, in a, as a civil servant, there's an assignment that God has for you. He has ordained you specifically for that. In fact, the word appointed means I've ordained you. I've set you there to fulfill not your purposes, but to fulfill my purpose. And I've chosen you to walk this path. Just like we see in this life of this young lady, Hagar. So number one, we see that God cared about her and God does care about you and I. Number two, the reason why she worshipped after realizing this, after having this revelation. Number two, God cared about her even though she had sinned. So sometimes we may think God cares about me because I fast a lot, I pray a lot, I worship a lot. No. But listen, when Hagar became pregnant, she looked down upon Sarah. Here was a slave looking down upon her own mistress. Hagar's life was sustained because of Sarah. Everything she had, she had because of Sarah, her mistress. Her life was literally in Sarah's hands. Sarah was the only reason that Hagar had the honor of being the mother of Abraham's first child. That's an honor. Otherwise, she would have not had such an honor of even having baby because she was a slave. She was not to get married, but just stay there. But because of Sarah, she was able to carry forth the father of faith's child. Don't you see how God works? Our God is hilarious. He does things in, I mean, in, in an hilarious way. So it is amazing how quickly... Even us, we can be lifted up in our own pride because, I, you know, I've obtained something and I glory myself in that. But God sees you and God cares about you even though you might be here and you say, like, Solomon, I don't think uh, the sins that I've committed, I don't think whether God will see me as he is, you know. And I, for me to see myself as someone who God really cares for. God sees our sin. He sees the consequences of our sin. He sees that we are lost in our own sin. He sees, but he doesn't stop there. There's something he does. First John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we freely admit that we have sinned. So there's that point of acknowledging, you know, that I know I'm struggling, I'm falling short of the glory of God. But it says, and confessed our sin. Our God is faithful and just. We might, be, we might be unfaithful, but our God is faithful. He is just. He is true to his own nature. He is true to his promises toward us. And will forgive our sins. So not only does God come and uh, forgive our sins, but he cleanses us. From all our wrongdoings. The things that are not conforming to his will and his purpose. 
So not only does he look, I mean, forgive our sins, but he comes forth to cleanse us. And this is what God was doing in Hagar's life. Connecting her back, telling her, go back to your mistress. Yeah, I have seen, I have seen what is happening in your life. But turning on a new leaf. And that's where God is pointing us. So that's the reason she worshipped God. That God cared about her. Even though she had seen, God really cared. And for us, we can also come to God in such a way that God, you know, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. The song we have sung. We can praise him simply because of who he is and what he does in our lives, making us clean. Number three, the reason why she was able to worship God. It is because God cared about her and had a plan for her life. Amazing. Not only does God care about us, not only does God care about us even though we sin, but he also has a plan for your life. In fact, he has a plan for your neighbor's life, even you know that. And he has a plan for you as well. So God's plan for her, for Ega, was an incredible promise. She will become the mother of many descendants. A slave, an Egyptian, someone who is invisible to others, becoming a descendant. I mean, uh, becoming the mother of many descendants, multitude. Her son will be the father of a great nation. She will become the grandmother of 12 princes. That's our God. Taken rightly as a slave, as an Egyptian, becoming a grandmother of 12 princes. Hagar lived in time when people's greatest treasure was their posterity. They believed that their life really mattered if they could have a multitude of descendants. And as a woman, she could not receive a great honor as such. But she had a choice, you know. She had a choice whether to go back to her mistress or just go back to Egypt where she was being found, you know, in the wilderness of Shu, heading back to where he knew best. But God told her, return back. She could continue with a plan which had no guarantees. There was no guarantee. Maybe we could have not even had this story right now with us if she had chosen the other path. Or she could trust God and submit to God's plan. What she chose? She chose to embrace God's plan and to submit to God. Her response to God will indicate that she was astonished that God saw her and cared about her. When when she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? The ancient believed that no one could see God and live to tell about it. But Hagar honored God with a name that every Jew would know and always link to her. From Hagar's story, we can now attest that we know Elroy, you and I, the God who sees. Otherwise, we would have not had that with us. But we can attest this. So God sees you as an individual and has a plan for your life. How? He sent his son Jesus as his messenger to accomplish his plan. Just like the angel of the Lord visited Hagar to accomplish his own plan, not Hagar's plan, but his purpose. That's the same way with you and I. God sent Jesus to accomplish his plan in our lives. God sent Jesus for you. And Jesus sacrificed everything 
to save you because God has an incredible plan for your life. And that's why he left everything. If one day you can just look at that and see like, you mean God left everything for me, Solomon? Then I have no reason but to worship this God. That he left everything just to come. Imagine the angel of the Lord here visiting Hagar, slave, an Egyptian, an invisible person, and the angel of the Lord didn't visit the father of faith, Abraham. That's amazing. That shows how concerned our God is with us. In fact, his plan is to save us from his wrath so that we can live with him for eternity. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 9. It says, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us. By the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for good people. He did die for us while we were still sinners. And we see that in the life of Hagar here. Therefore, since we have now been justified, declared free of the guilt of sin by his blood, how much more certain is it that we will be saved from the wrath of God through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, it is much more certain, having been reconciled, that we will be saved from the consequences of sin by his life. That is, we will be saved because Christ lives today. That's the fact. Christ lives today. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God, rejoicing in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation with God. So you see, it is God who orchestrates all this, not Hagar. And it's, it's God who orchestrates all this in our lives, not us. He who began this good work, the Bible says, he is faithful and he will see it to completion. So when we are going through this moment, as we say, as you're winding this series of suffering, I won't tell it as more of a suffering, but a series of transitioning, a series of shifting, you know. Whenever a test comes on our way, it means God has an assignment to accomplish in our lives. And the process we go through is to make us ready as vessels and tools for that assignment. So he works in us. The Bible says he works in us both to will and to do. Not according to my own pleasure, but according to his pleasure. That's what happens. So when God chooses you, I mean chooses you as a person out of 100 people, you can't question God, why not other person? It's because he knows best. And he's given you grace to carry you through so that you may accomplish that which he wants to accomplish in your life. And at the end, what happens? He is glorified and not me. In fact, First Peter chapter 1, I believe from verse 5 says that the, test, the testing of your faith, which is much precious than gold, which perishes after being tested, may produce honor and praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what happens in our life? When we go through a moment, the shifting and trying moments, what comes out of us is Jesus. That's, that's the thing. People, don't, people have not experienced Jesus. They have not seen, but when they look at it, they see Jesus. They don't see Solomon. They don't see Nico. They don't see Sam. They don't see uh, Jordan. They just see Jesus. 
and we begin to impact people's lives. They look at it. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's amazing that these guys, they didn't avoid the fire, did they? But they had to go through it. God determined for them to go through that fire. And then as they're going through the fire, Jesus is there. It's amazing that no one identify the fourth person but the king himself, Nebuchadnezzar. And he tells the others like, did we throw only three people? I see the fourth one and he's like the son of God. So whenever God takes us through this process, it is for him to be glorified. It is for him to be praised. It is for him to be honored. It has never been about us. It will never be about us. And that's what we experience here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to 7 says, But God being so very rich in mercy, because of his great wonderful love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believe and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Because we are in Christ Jesus, and he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and surpassed riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption. It's amazing. Sometimes you just read the Bible and let it just minister to you when you read those uh, verses. It's amazing what God does. So I'm encouraging us today. If you're alive on earth and cognitive, His plan is for you to raise up more spiritual descendants of Jesus, one person at a time. We can see Hagar, the grandmother of 12 princes, because of what God had turned her life to be, the kind of transformation she had received. And that's what happened in our lives. Matthew chapter 4, 19 says that, Jesus telling the disciples, follow me as my disciples, accepting me as your master and teacher. And even unbelievers, they know Jesus is a good teacher. He was a great master. But can they walk the same path that he walked? That's what we are called to as believers of Christ, as followers of Christ. Because he went through suffering to prepare him for great assignment. Even we as disciples, he takes us through that. And as we walk through that, the Bible says... I will make you what? Fishers of? You want to be a fisher of men? Be ready to go through the process. Let the process complete its work in you. James says that. That patience completes its work in you so that you will lack nothing. It makes you complete. So the process, we can't run out of, away from this process. It has to be completed. So God ordains that one person walk through and the slide, you can just tell me with that. God ordains that one, that one person walk through a valley, find comfort in the valley, come out, turn around, go back to the beginning of that same valley, and help other people walk through it with the very comforts they have discovered there. So when God takes you through a valley, it's not for your sake. It has never been about you. It's about him. And it's for the sake of people that it will send on your way. So when Solomon go through circumstances, it has never been about me. But it's about people that will come, that I will meet. And as I carry the same grace, you know, grace that we carry attracts the needs that are sent on our way. That's what happens here. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. I know it's not there, but you can listen. If you have a Bible, you can open. It says, Blessed, gratefully praised and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts and encourages us in every trouble so that we will be able to comfort and encourage those who are in any kind of trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as Christ's sufferings are ours in abundance, as they overflow to his followers, so also our comfort, our reassurance, our encouragement, our consolation is abundant through Christ. It is truly more than enough to endure what we must. One of the things I said that we miss some of our greatest blessings by not enduring through hardship in our own families, in the body of Christ as well. And God has things to teach us through hardship that we will not learn if we flee from it every time it comes. Just like Hagar. God has to accomplish that. My question today is, what are you going to do when you go through those challenging moments, when they come on your way? You need to do what Hagar did. You need to trust God and submit to his plan. You need to profess his name. His name is Jesus. Amen. The name that is above all other names. You need to profess that name. You need to worship God as the God who sees you. Elroy, worship him. If you trust God and submit to his plan, your life will turn into a life of worship. It won't be a life of complaints or murmuring, but begin to worship God. Because you see in a different perspective, you know, your eyes have been enlightened and you know you don't see as the world does or you don't see naturally but supernaturally. A life of, of worship is when you go through one difficult experience after another and you have faith in God that God sees you and you see God working in your life. Not only that you have faith that he sees you but you begin to see him working in your life. Unfortunately, you know, most believers go through a chunk of time believing that God does exist for them. You know, like, I'm calling the shots. Eh? Uh, God, I want you to come through for me. And, you know, I need to, to see him work that. You say, bless my relationship. That's our prayer. Mostly. It's self, mostly. Bless my marriage. Bless my family. Bless my house. Bless my job. Bless my ministry. Bless my business. Give me abundant life. Give me joyful days. What about if there are no joyful days in your own eyes? They don't go that way. We pray as if God exists for us. But let me tell you, your Christian life will change radically when it finally sinks in that God does not exist for you. But it's the other way. We exist for God. To showcase his power and his glory through our lives. It's not us calling the shot, but him is orchestrating everything. Many people believe that God is all-knowing and that he is present everywhere. The, the two attributes of God here. But a life of worship is when you are going through a difficult time and you realize that God hears you. He listens to you and he, you, and he sees you and you see him working in your life. You can attest and say, he is my El Shama, he is my El Roy. The God who listens, the God who hears, the God who sees. That's the kind of God that we serve. 
My question to you today as I wind up is, will you trust that God sees you and submit to his plan? Will you trust that God sees you and submit to his plan? Number one, if you've not yet known the Lord, this is the moment to receive Jesus because that's the only way you can see him and trust his plan. But if you've already received Jesus, will you, the question still goes, will you trust and submit to his plan and begin to multiply that which has already begun? Making of disciples. Most of us believers, when we already know that we have Christ, we stop in there. But the greater purpose and plan for, for our God is to multiply that which is already begun doing in our lives. I want just to stand on our feet right this moment. As I call on the worship team. And of course, I've mentioned two questions here. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're part of this congregation, that's the best thing you can do. Submit to the one who hears, the one who listens, the one who sees. Because he knows you better than I do. And you say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, my Master. Let me have this revelation just like Hagar had to see the one who sees me. But if you're already in that place, in the fold, you're part and parcel of the body of Christ. You don't stop there. God is telling you, can you now begin to become, a, to raise up disciples? Just like Hagar did, descendants of many people, to raise up disciples in your spheres of your influence. So as we sing this song, I want to just go forward before the Lord. Whether you've not received him, this is the moment you can just stretch out to him. If you've received him and you need to be involved in his assignments as well, you submit yourself. Of course, our prayer team will be here, uh, Karine and uh, some others, at the end of the service, just to pray with you in line to that. But as the leader is in this song, just let's give ourselves to God.